I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war and the threat of war? Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell, and welcome back to Thought Speak, everybody. It's time once again. I know we are not always the most prompt at delivering these things, but hey, we ain't stopping. It ain't stopping us. Four we years know, now hasn't stopped us. We know that you guys believe in us, and as long as you keep doing that and you keep clapping to make us realize that we're real people, uh, we will uh, continue putting these out here. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, yeah, That was a hook reference. That's that was a hook, hook reference. reference. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get you. Um, yeah. <laughs> you sidetracked <laughs> me with that one. Robin Williams, totally. Rufio, all the way. Yeah. What year? Uh, <laughs> Can you name the year? You know the year? 94. I don't know the year, so I'm not, I don't know. I'm supposed to tell you. <laughs> oh, well, then. I feel like it was like 92. Really dumb tangent is a great tangent. <laughs> what I what I got out of this. Uh, right away, before everybody clicks off, we should probably <laughs> thank our Patreon sponsors because these are the people that are keeping the show afloat, making it happen. And uh, as we always do, you know, we take the time to personally thank each one of them by butchering their names in a long-winded list that I ramble off now. <laughs> so without further ado. Oh, here we go again. Thank you to John Maz, uh, new guy, Toasty Flatworm. Bravo, sir. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Peter Schull, uh, Noah Troutman, Jeremy Baxter, Amanda Mimic, Tomb Juice. Uh, another one, not sure if this is new or not. Uh, oh, boy. Arisha, G, Arisha, you know. Use your real name, folks, if you don't want me to butcher it. That's probably his real name. That's terrible. We, uh, we appreciate and respect all names of any cultures. Um, uh, we try We try our best. We're getting there. Uh, Graith, David C., Kevin Kuslowski, Kevin K. is what he's going to be from now on. Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Jason Thompson, Ben Freeman, Tony Pazek, Kelly Brown, Josh Blount, Andrew Walker, Canicula, Count Canicula, um, Nita Labrada Gaffaro, Tim Aheen, Daniel Martinoli, Michael Blemick, and Stephen Adams. We appreciate all of you. <laughs> We're glad to have the new new people as well as the old. Um, this really keeps the show going. What helps support us, and you know, it covers the cost of the podcast. This, this ain't free. It's not cheap. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, and yeah. and this is Patreon. You feel good knowing that you are totally responsible for the awesome new website redesign that Coleman was able to whip up. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out, uh, head on over to www.thoughtspeakcast.com where you see our brand new website. Uh, I think it's a cool little cool little section now for uh, if you want to comment on our episodes or if you want to hit, hit up the archives, which I think are much easier to search now. Um, 
there's there's a whole lot of new links and stuff on there to check out and i think it's just a just a better design overall for having fans interact with us or talking to us um we've also kind of rebooted our twitter which we have a twitter feed on our website now but if you want to talk to us on twitter we're at, at morphcast uh just just making big moves and you may be thinking to yourself well you guys you guys are about to review uh book number 43 the test you're practically at the end of the series why are you revamping your website why why do you have a new logo that doesn't look super animorphs related no one was thinking that everyone was thinking it (laughs) and for those of you thinking it which was everyone mitch do you want to clue them in what what my designs and goals we might have for the future I guess if you'd like to dramatically shift to me talking. Uh, <laughs> well, if it if it wasn't apparent by uh, Coleman's little request on the uh, website for uh, next series for us to discuss, yeah, we are looking into the future of expanding the podcast after we wind down the Animorph series and moving into some other middle grade fiction series and other nostalgic properties that. Uh, the two of us have read throughout our years and yeah, really enjoyed and just want to talk about. I think you're downplaying it. I think we have set our goals in mind. We've we're we're definitely going to do this. It's not it's not a dream or a hope. Um, we are becoming what I like to call a book nostalgia podcast. So uh, it's not just Animorphs anymore. We're going to be going into other books that really matter to us as kids and, and matter to you, even if it's books that we've never read before. We want to hear your suggestions on what series we should tackle. We might not do entire series like we do with Animorphs, uh, but I know we definitely want to hit up like Ender's Game, some of the other books in that series. Um, we've got several uh, Dinotopia books to read, and um, <laughs> we're both Cirque big friends. Yeah, we're both big fans of Darren Shan. Uh, a lot of his work. Um, I really like some DJ McHale uh, books, like the Pendragon series. Definitely want to get into. Uh, yeah. We've got a lot of ideas and just things that that make us happy, uh, book wise, and and stories that we want to share with other people and. Just have yeah. a good time chatting with my buddy. Really, and there's a lot of all about. and there's a lot of goosebumps podcasts and things like that. So we'll probably try to hit the more obscure stuff. Uh, maybe we'll do a couple episodes of Fear Street or like a particular goosebumps book that stood out to us. But uh, yeah, we're gonna be jumping all over, and uh, I think we're gonna bring a lot more people in and some new new uh, people who you know I've heard people take uh, our start our podcast without having ever read Animorphs before, which is really strange to me uh but oh yeah if if our podcast becomes a companion piece for future new readers that would just be wonderful mm-hmm. so uh anyway check out our new website um there's a handy link to our patreon on there if you haven't uh become a patreon uh contributor yet again that helps us out a lot and we're gonna be changing that up as well and uh coming up with fun new um possible goals and uh levels of patronage so just maybe keep, keep, maybe <laughs> go ahead no i was just gonna say keep a, keep a look out on all our all our social media and our website and everything because uh things are shifting and uh it, it's not gonna not to downplay the end of animorphs we're gonna hit that hard and uh put a lot of time into it because i mean we've been doing this for a while and it's a big deal for us to get to the end but uh we're not done yet so don't don't go elsewhere Maybe one day we'll even bring back the uh, monthly Google Hangout chat sessions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were pretty fun. Uh, it's just hard to coordinate everybody's schedules. But. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, going to be determined at a later date. Anyway, 
Tonight, like you said before, we are reviewing Animorphs book number 43, The Test. And uh, yeah, this was one that I don't remember ever reading as a child. Oh, I definitely didn't read this one. I would have remembered. But I, d- I didn't read the last Taylor book either. So um, yeah, this these two books, uh, I never knew that there was a enemy on par with almost David uh, that the Animorphs had, or specifically Tobias had. Yeah, uh, so yeah, recurring villain, I suppose, and and you're right, I didn't read the last one with her until you and I just did, and uh, one of the more interesting character villains, I would say, but um, would you like to read the back of the book or talk about the cover first? Let's let's talk about the cover, that's our our go-to lineage. Diving in point, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, kind of looks like baby puke. <laughs> the, the green, scheme. yeah, absolutely. The green and the dark, and just the kid's face. No, I'm just yeah, and, and <laughs> Tobias. I don't remember this model for Tobias. Well, actually, uh, that, that's an interesting thing because uh, according to Seropedia here, this book featured a new Tobias cover model. Uh, Ursula Albano, the art director for Animorph, shared this story with us. Um, the discovery of new Tobias. We couldn't find a kid in time for the shoot, so the photographer asked the agency to send over any old kid to stand in. Our artist, David Mattingly, would alter him digitally to fit the character. Well, a boy showed up out of nowhere, skateboard in hand, and a knit hat pulled down practically to his eyes. When he pulled his hat off, we knew we found the perfect Tobias. Uh, uh, Tanya, the editor, just loved him. He was blonder than the first Tobias, but it was perfect. A happy accident from a desperate situation. I, however, happen to think this, yeah, like you said, this Tobias, he don't look right, does he? Yeah, for this far in the series, he looks way, way too young, right? Sure, yeah, uh, it looks like a little boy. He looks like he's, like, ten. <laughs> well, here's here's the question, though. Does uh, Tobias's human morph age with him or not? Because if it's, you know, still 13-year-old Tobias from the beginning of the series, then maybe it is a little accurate. I don't know. Um, it's hard to tell. Have they ever talked about, don't they say in the later books in the end of the series that Tobias is um, his hawk morph ages? Doesn't he look like an old hawk? Yeah, he, so, he does. So the DNA within them is aging because he's constantly morphing out of his, his hawk. Oh, uh, I guess. I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing if they address any of these really, really. I don't think they ever go into the things. age. I hope that his human morph is aging with him because otherwise, um, him and Rachel's dates have got to be pretty awkward. The mall, uh, this little kid running around with Fuller and Rachel, and if, if in that instance, if they're just choosing their DNA to revert back and forth between different morphs, wouldn't that put a pause button on their normal DNA, like the human morph DNA? Uh, that would be interesting. Then in theory, couldn't they just use morphing to stay alive forever? Yeah. Be they, immortal, they, practically? They morphed like half the day every day or something into like another f- human form. Um, or at or least for, slow down their biological clocks. Like, And here's, here's the other question. We're seeing more and more, uh, you know, extra morphine abilities. Uh, could they just focus harder and kind of like tweak their age as they morph? Um, you know, they've been able to do other things similar to that. So 
Possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, either way, uh, that all stems from the fact that this cover kind of looks like puke, as you mentioned, because mm-hmm. the taxon is uh, ugly as all sin, and I don't know if it's exactly what you or I had in mind for how the taxon should look. No, so do you know those um, stress tubes that people always have? Those, those like, they're cylinders, and they've got, like, a, you can put your finger in each end. They kind of uh, like each end looks like somewhat? kind of like a butthole. You know, they're like stress squeeze things, and they have like a gel or a liquid inside them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Those yeah. are what I always pictured as taxons, except when the just when with the, legs, with legs, and then when the and like teeny tiny legs, and then when the one of the ends opened, you'd have like a just a ton of teeth, like just jagged all around, almost like a sarlacc from Star Wars. Oh, yeah, see, I, I always just kind of pictured something vaguely uh, Zerg-like. Zerg from StarCraft. Yeah. Uh, they're, uh, they're little, you know, they're, they're base units, the builders and stuff, those yeah. things. and I always like the idea that their, um, their eyes were, like, just embedded in this, like, fat, floppy head. Uh, yeah, it looks a little weird to see them almost on stock eyes, it kind of mm-hmm. looks like the teeny tiny little mouth when they're constantly eating everything. And I, I feel like this is just like a literal representation. Like the artist read the first description of a tax and it's like, Oh, they've got lobster claw like hands. I'm going to draw actual lobster claws. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and even make them red. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, whenever they mention the, the tax and legs, they always say cones, cones, mm-hmm. cones, cones. And they're, they're little, I don't know. They they should describe it more as like centipede like or something, if if that's yeah. what they're going for. These don't look like cones, but no. I'd, I'd love to do. I'd love to do representations of all the uh, aliens, like hire an artist and just do what's in my head. Because the Horkbajir would look vastly different. The Taxons would look super different. Andalites are pretty close. Although I think you could make them more original. The the animal the Andalites you see. Um, in the cover arts and stuff are very, I don't know, awkward. I think yeah. Make it look more, like, organic. Yeah, more modern artists, I think, would give them a, a little bit more mm. cool look. Uh, in the, uh, so the inside cover, is this supposed to be Rachel or Taylor? I'm led to believe it's Rachel, because it just looks like the cover model for Rachel. Um, yeah, what if they just got her and, like, hey, you're Taylor now, and just, like, darkened her face? Well, another thing is that uh, it's hard to tell, but it doesn't look like uh, either one of her arms are a prosthetic limb, and well, Taylor's, right Taylor's like face would... Well, yeah, that's true, but Taylor's face is also uh, supposed to be horribly scarred, and her hair is supposed to be all shortened and, yeah. you know, Either way, or whatever. the, uh, the taxon in the foreground looks like, just from this perspective, it looks like a actual centipede-sized, and we're just really close up on it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I imagine too. And uh, Rachel's just normal size as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really weird seeing like Tobias morph into uh, uh, Texan, you know, on the cover. And it's almost a somewhat scene pulled from the book for that, that inside flap. Mm-hmm. Kind of, in a way. Even the tagline is somewhat related. It's Tobias is about to face his biggest fear being tortured again. <laughs> right. Uh, his only weakness. 
Watch Animorphs on TV. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm going to read the back. Yeah, why are we talking about Texans and tunnels and tailors? <laughs> too, too early for that. Um, okay, so Tobias, the other Animorphs, and Axe have seen things so bizarre that no sane person would believe their story. No one would believe that aliens have taken over Earth and are in the process of infesting as many humans as possible. No one could believe the battles and missions and losses these six kids have had to deal with, and it's not over yet. Tobias has been captured by the same human controller that nearly tortured him to death once before. She claims that she's now part of the Yurk peace movement, that she just needs a favor. Tobias isn't sure what to believe, but he knows that if the Animorph Snacks don't find him soon, what he believes won't matter anymore, because he'll be dead. And that's just the test. Uh, so that tells us um, about, oh, I don't know, just the setup to this yeah. book <laughs> which is better than a lot of the other summaries uh i guess i mean it, it leaves a lot out but then again it couldn't just say hey tobias and the team get duped into helping this chick almost blow up the town and and then they don't mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but that's the kind of story we're dealing with tonight on animorphs yeah and it's uh it's a story man uh it's it's something i can say i read and two sittings and um the only reason there was a break in there was uh purely by accident it wasn't it wasn't intentional sure i felt like this could have been a quick read as well um it just to me honestly felt like not a whole heck of a lot happened in terms of like actual plot and and action and what the characters are doing well not a lot Uh, of not a lot of physical action happened and obviously there's a lot of introspection and tobias thoughts and stuff but i thought this book more than any we've had in maybe the last like 20 episodes um added a lot to the series like morph lore uh story lore kind of just showing where the kit like an evolution of the characters where they are now uh just a lot like quickly the last few books have been sluggish in adding anything to the series lore and this one just like threw a bunch on the table yeah, this is definitely a noticeable change from uh, uh, the team that we've been with for quite a while now. And this one, yeah, like you said, even though it's kind of sort of filler, it almost, you know, it doesn't feel like filler. And the way that the uh, characters are sort of advanced, uh, it, it's definitely more about character progression than the, the while, last couple have been. Well, this one is filler. I would say it's filler in the same sense the David trilogy is filler. Like, yes, you know, they didn't do some huge impact on the Yerks, but I actually think that this hints towards quite a bit that they're going to do the Yerks. And it also um, was a really important story to seeing, like putting a marker in the ground of where the characters are at at this point. So I think technically, yeah, it's filler, but I'd say this is uh, definitely not a skippable book. No, and there's uh, there's so much foreshadowing in this book about future events. Uh, I think this is where we start to see a lot of, um, you could say, questions arising. Really, really, you can't really call this. I, you know, I'm, ta- I'm taking back the filler part. It, this continues a story that was brought up earlier in the series. So, in my mind, that's a continuing arc. So this is this is an arc. It's not it's not filler. Just like the David trilogy is an art. No, not at all. And you know what? It it has a lot to do deal with the uh, Yerk peace movement uh, faction. 
and uh, we, we definitely wanted more um, of them. And and although those characters don't necessarily make an appearance in this book, um, their their involvement can't be overlooked. And uh, it, it's cool to know that they're still willing to. Uh, dive into that topic and how it affects our characters morally and whatnot. I thought this this book did a good job of, um, without spoiling too much, did a great job of uh, Visitor 3 taking more of that Darth Vader role than being the bumbling villain who's in every book. Like, he was much more in the background manipulating things. Yeah, and that, he, I think he works so much better that way as well, mm-hmm. where we... I mean, he wasn't actually in the book. Mentioned a lot, but he didn't he didn't show up here necessarily yeah. um so anyway like just starting this thing out you know it, it's been a while since we've had a book that just kind of started with one of the team um off doing their own thing and they go and you know uh, uh use their power quote unquote to to do whatever they want and uh here's another case of tobias like all right i'm gonna try and do some good with my superpower quote unquote and he notices a, a search party out in the forest looking for this little boy who's deaf and blind, I guess, and uh, he's fallen into some hole or something. And, you know, he, he uh, takes a big risk, I guess, in revealing himself and uh, going down and uh, t- telling his father to follow him and leads him to his kid, you know, and does a good thing. Yeah, I really feel like, I mean... This this plot is important. It's it's a great setup for an for an opening um kind of sequence, especially setting up the rest of the book. At the same time, I can't help but think like, uh, man, that dad really messed up losing this kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna take a, a a deaf and dumb kid into the like deep into the mountains, and then like you don't watch him extra carefully, uh, or leave his side even for a second, you know, or put him <laughs> on a leash. Or I mean, really, I mean, this I don't want to sound too mean but couldn't you have taken them to just like the local forest like i don't think it would have changed or like your backyard with some trees like it wouldn't have changed the experience a lot you know i don't even know honestly why they had to make the kid have like disabilities i mean yeah he could have been a normal kid who got lost in the woods yeah it'd be just as sympathetic Other, other than like maybe representation which i'm all for but not like stick them down a hole representation yeah um a flooding yeah, hole. Maybe just to make it more sympathetic. I mean, maybe that was the case. I'm not sure. But either yeah, or no, just, maybe maybe so that if Tobias morphed and stuff in front of him or like it's more believable the kid wouldn't be a very good witness. Uh, I mean, that sounds mean. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know no, why they chose to do this. I, I, I don't know either, but I think it just like adds more to the stakes Cause you know Tobias describes how he's flying and it's starting to rain and yeah, ordinarily I guess for a human that wouldn't be a big deal necessarily but for Tobias it's like being pelted by little water bullets and so yeah it, it just kind of raises the stakes a little bit makes you know the kid more sympathetic I guess either way yeah. and don't get me wrong Tobias know. Tobias searching for a kid lost in the woods even though they've kind of hit that story point before um, was a great opener of the book and it it. it shows how he is better in his hawk form in some ways than he was as a human. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, he, he wouldn't be very helpful to this situation in human morph. No, or even if he was just a normal <laughs> animorph. Well, even if he was just a normal animorph. 
Um, and he heard about a kid lost in the woods. Tobias knows these woods. He knows these mountains. Uh, he, he knows the best way to search them. Like, you know, he, he's actually, like, specifically good for this. He knows so. where the best shrews are. Yeah, can, the kid's he can, chasing a shrew. He's, he'll find them for quick. He can locate the, the best free-range skunks to eat. <laughs> Cassie approved. It definitely starts this book off with a bang. And uh, gets back in that Tobias mindset. So, I, I, and, Tobias' and book is good for a reason, but this one specifically was a great. Start. Most, most importantly, it's an inciting incident, really, that uh, leads us to Tobias randomly getting blindsided by uh, an eagle, and you know, wakes up in a vet uh, office. But it just—it's—it's it's a very strange transition, you know. I'm sure when I I read this, other people read this. I, I thought it was there was be more to it. Yeah, know, it seems so specific to say a golden eagle knocks him out. Um, you know, you think Rachel's up to something, or I, I don't know. It, I almost would have preferred him getting like uh, like trying to fly next to the helicopter and accidentally misjudging a current wind current or something and knocking into it or something relevant to what's happening rather than a something that's going to make you think something else is going on for a minute. Well, it just seemed like maybe that opening scene was written before the rest of the plot was written, and when they tried to link up the the two the opening scene to the rest of the thing, um, they're like, okay, well, how the heck do we get Tobias into a vet's office? You know, right here in chapter three, <laughs> and they're like, ah, just whatever. He's attacked by another bird. When he's, yeah, no, when it's he's it's great. Tobias, this whole time, he's thinking, you know, like um, he's very much in the mindset of thinking about his hawk life versus his human life. It's already starting that, uh, that kind of current line of thinking throughout the rest of the book. It's starting that now. And then him, uh, when he gets knocked out and put in a vet's office, it specifically shows him that his actions, even his good actions have consequences. And, uh, he's really in a bind being trapped in a vet's office because everyone's telling the story of this miraculous hawk that talked to the father using, you know, psychic, mind melding and uh you know the story the story is getting out that a special hawk helped save this kid and he's trapped in a cage and knows that both maybe the animorphs but definitely the yurks are going to hear the story and and know something's up yeah and to make matters worse uh there's cameras and stuff all within the lab so he can't just morph his way out of this and it's basically stuck sitting in the cage until someone shows up and wouldn't you know it, it's the Yerks who show up first. Yeah. With the Animorphs quickly behind, um, they show up as well. So Rachel's the first one to see them. But uh, Yerks show up first and start banging down the door. Um, which it, It's almost like a little bit different of a, of a battle scene, though, because it's like he notices that there's, you know, some Hork-Bajir fighting other Hork-Bajir and stuff. Like there's two different factions, maybe battling it out for him and coincidentally taylor shows up there and she's like you know his trigger basically if we haven't if we haven't alluded to the other story enough or if you're if you didn't listen to that episode or pay attention um there is another animorphs book that introduces taylor character and she basically tortured tobias for half the book uh, some pretty horrible torture to the point where people were, were surprised it showed up in an animorphs book it was pretty graphic um it wasn't that so graphic it was graphic man he it's was pg pain. torture it was like pg 12 torture <laughs> um they tell you he was in pain 
and you believe it. Yeah, but he's also like his mind is racing and like he he's actively getting PTSD while it's happening. I remember us talking about that book. He's he's hooked up to a pain machine. It's not like she's you know plucking feathers or yeah, but he describes cutting off fingers or anything. It's like you're trying to tell me that when somebody casts the Cruciatus for uh, curse in Harry Potter, that that's not torture. All right, that's graphic torture. I know. All I'm saying is that there's a large difference between. Uh, a pain machine box that that makes you feel pain, and then the very graphic uh, process of you know bodily mutilation and the pain and harm that comes sure. with that. But it also specifically described the emotional pain, and that was graphic to me. <laughs> Look, you know, I'm not trying to argue. Abuse is abuse, and clearly he was not in a good situation. Uh, so that's that's his most memorable. You know, memory about this Taylor character is that she's just a psychopath that is very willing to harm and kill uh, as she sees fit in order to, you know, uh, get her purpose. Uh, and, and she she was a she had a she was a messed up looking character before because the, her whole backstory is being a voluntary host to uh fix all these injuries she had to her she was missing an arm and her face is all messed up and burned and all this stuff but she's even worse looking now since she basically survived like an explosion in the last book with her she's got some battle damage yeah yeah so <laughs> it's it's a it's a nice uh it's an interesting character because she's got the dichotomy of um being like a beautiful model who lost her looks and so she turned to the yurks uh, to make her beautiful again. You know, it's almost too bad that they didn't have a little bit more interaction between Taylor and Rachel. I think they could have made some really interesting uh, comparisons between the two of them. But uh, for the most part, you know, in this book, uh, they're kind of relegated to the whole uh, cat and mouse kind of style of well, relationship. If you, if you think about it, Rachel's arch enemy is David, this dweeby little kid. And then Tobias, who's also a dweeby little kid, his arch nemesis is this model-looking girl. So it's like they've switched nemesises. Nemeses. I I suppose that's true. Um, I just think uh, uh, this Taylor character could be a really interesting recurring um, villain, I guess. But you know we'll what I would see where that goes. You know what I would have loved to see happen in the series that never did. Um, Take one of the bullies that always used to mess with Tobias and give him a yerk and have this character who is like tracking down Tobias, who is literally in the body of one of his old bullies. Uh, that would be pretty crazy. Could work. Could work, McClung. I'll give you that. I want to read that nemesis. <laughs> Well, uh, let's see here. So this is all kind of still in the setup phase of the plot here. Uh, Taylor does manage to make it out of there with Tobias, um, despite the Animorphs' best efforts and this kind of chaotic scene that unfolds at the vet's office. Um, uh, When Tobias wakes up again, um, Taylor right away goes into demonstrating that she's not above torturing again, um, even when she's there to basically ask for help. Yeah, and she's definitely uh, prodding him with uh, remembering his torture and, and messing with him. Which is, you know, just bad. She's triggering him left and right. Sure, and it, it brings up uh, 
the previous story and is just a good refresher for um, the readers. Um, yeah. T- Tobias does a lot of um, just introspection, a lot of uh, recalling the past, a lot of questioning himself, his motives, uh, thinking about Taylor, you know, what she's all about. Yeah, her go-to, her go-to prodding and torture of him, uh, other than pushing a button, him literally being tortured, uh, is messing with him and saying that he's more bird than human, or he's a better bird than he is human, or he'll never be able to regain his humanity. Uh, that's that's her go-to button to push. Except not except instead of humanity, it's andalinity. I don't know uh, because she thinks he's an andalite still. Yes, switch out humanity with andalite. But her her whole thing, as you just said, is is all about getting under his skin, pushing his buttons, you know, uh, ruffling his feathers. Oh, there you go. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's what she does. That's what she does to him. But she's so her her uh, what she tells him she's up to in this book is that as much as she hates the Andalite bandits, uh, Visor 3 has overstepped his uh, craziness, and, and it, he has had it out for her. And so she is now uh, plotting against Visor 3 and trying to... She's joined the York Peace Movement uh, just out of her hatred for Visor 3, which actually sounds believable. You know, it doesn't sound crazy, you know? Yorks are all about that anyway, so... Yeah, that's the only reason why it's believable at this point in the story is because, like, well, here's another clear, classic example of Yerk trying to overthrow Yerk. Which is cool because it's our bias of what we know of Yerks. Even though we've seen peaceful Yerks and we've seen Yerks trying to do different, uh, our biases towards them toward in this point in the series actually helps us believe this lie, which is uh, pretty pretty complex for an Animarch books. A little bit. I mean, she does drop basically every hint or flat out tell that she is planning to screw them over throughout all this. And well, maybe I mean, that's you, the whole that's point even... of the book is Tobias is, you know, questioning it. Because at one point he even mentions how it's like he's defending her to the other Animorphs because he wants to go along with this plan. But even that's believable because she flat out tells them when she recaptures them. Uh, that she still hates them. You know, like, it's not, even if she has, even if her story was 100% true and she did join the Yurk Peace Movement, they would still have to be wary of them because of their past interaction. So even that's not a lie. It's it's 100% true that they have to not trust her completely. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, if, if anybody could trust her, it would probably be Tobias just because he knows her the best. Or can at least maybe stay one step ahead of her. Sure. And they, they do have a mental, you know, like, it, it's like a mental game between them where he's, like, <laughs> trying to figure her out while at the same time trying to remain above her mental mind games. Um, it's an interesting, uh, uh, what would you call it? An interesting back and forth between these characters. Anyway, she proves that, you know, she's at least on the level with some of her <coughs> her bs here, and she lets Tobias go. Um, he, he's suspicious in that, you know, he thinks maybe she planted a tracking device on him or something, so he, he morphs into his smallest morph to see if there's anything to that and discovers that she's uh, not telling the... And he lies. She's she's not bugging him or anything like that to find well, out the location of the Andalite bandits. 
it's nice to have these parts in the book that you know like cover the bases so that you're not thinking oh well, what if she why didn't she just track him then why didn't she do this you know like when the book actually points that out it's it's nice i appreciate it totally and then it leads to uh, one of my favorite sentences that I think if you search for, like, if you were able to look at the uh, transcripts of all of our episodes, uh, this next sentence is one that I think you'd find, like, hundreds and hundreds of times. But it is, the team meets up at Cassie's barn. Yeah, they never really... Uh... They really got a different meeting place. I, it's it's interesting that at the end of the series they meet up at the uh, Free Horkwitcher Valley all the time, um, but between when they're you know just normal humans, uh, it's really just uh, the barn, um, the mall, food court is a big one. Yeah, a lot a lot of times in the mall. The occasional Marco's apartment, but that's pretty rare. Dude, this book has the team meets up at Cassie's barn and the mall <laughs> food yeah. court. Oh, and Axe's Scoop. They go to Axe's Scoop every once in a while. Yeah, rarely. It's more just in the forest. Mm-hmm. There's been significantly less talk of Axe's Scoop than I thought I recalled. from. <laughs> I would take an entire book on a scoop. I wish they would have had an Axe book where it showed him like making a scoop. Yeah. Like a full-on Earthship home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> They go to the barn, and it's just a, a big conversation about not trusting Taylor. Yeah, um, definitely. There's some really good dialogue uh, throughout this this whole book. I think the, the all the character interactions are all really spot on. Like I said earlier, uh, it, it's not quite the team that we that we used to know. You know, this is who they've become now. Well, that's and... what's great about it is because yeah, it's a hundred percent. They nail the characters, but they don't just nail them the last time we saw them uh, in, in true to form of who we know. We actually, in this book, see an evolution of who they are. Marco is definitely that cold point A to point B character, but he's also starting to soften to a couple of things. He's been through some things with his mom now that he's uh, he's rational but can show a little more empathy. Uh, Rachel is definitely becoming that, you know, crazed warrior, barely thinking about what she's saying anymore. She's character. excited to go to the Yurk pool now. Mm-hmm. Which none of them ever been, you know. Uh, Jake is way more reserved and kind of distant, which I thought was super, super great evolution for his character and where he should be. It feels uh, like starting... it's been, yeah, it's been a long time since Jake has been like cracking jokes and, mm-hmm. you know, not playing the strict leader. Yeah, he's making these hard choices and then kind of just like spacing out, which is kind of scary. Um, and Tobias is just a, just a bundle of stress and emotions and and depression um yeah he's doing great (laughs) axe is the only one who's kind of just like you know he's becoming a better warrior he's basically on the same path he was with the andalites you know he's he's the only one who signed up for this war so he's mentally uh the healthiest probably of all of them maybe i seem to remember uh him dealing with some crap in that last book but yeah, but he's dealing with stuff like a normal soldier in the Andalite army would deal with, you know, like killing. How does that make me feel? You know, things like that. Uh, it's, it's still, and he's being should by, I should I betray my race? Uh, we'll see. Is my tail fur getting a little long? I don't know. I don't have a reference anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this uh, this whole debate, um, they're all pretty much in agreement that you know this 
Taylor girl is just a scumbag and they can't really trust her, but they're going to try and go along with it. Jake thinks it could well, be a pretty important mission if they they have her backing them up. Well, Ta- Tobias talks them into it, too. He, What I think is great about his interaction with Taylor and specifically how he talks about Taylor to the rest of his friends, he is gung-ho to interact with her again. She is, it's it's like almost Stockholm Syndrome without the love. Like, it's, you become obsessed with a person who impacted your life so hardcore, you know? So it's not that he wants to trust her, but he wants to continue going through the motions of whatever this mission is so that he can get closure or uh, whatever, whatever his mind is kind of convincing him of. Yeah, he thinks, you know, he's the only one that can deal with her, mm-hmm. really. Because they've got this weird history. And did she tell him? Did she tell them the plan yet, or, or what? Even what the mission is? Or did she just say it was a big one? No. Right now, uh, the, they. She left it at. Let's get in touch. Here's this website where you can find us, and the team d- agrees to go and check out the website. I find it really funny that you know the only way they they, they are able to trust this website and doing this is to have Axe build this like untraceable supercomputer that they're <laughs> all gathered around out in the forest. And it's like cobbled together. They all compliment him on how good of a job he did. So basically he created like a simple VPN. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. A, f- <laughs> a firewall, I believe they call it. And, uh, yeah, they check out this website and it's kind of just like this message board. And, um, they, they leave their little signature on there from the bandits. Let's, let's do this. I'm picturing like a geo cities, uh, website with like sparkly stars and you know everything you can imagine right and then it says like you know an hour later she got back to him saying hey let's meet up at the mall and that's where the uh, the scene shifts once again and uh, what we didn't mention earlier is that uh, in one of their scuffles earlier on Tobias did manage to acquire Taylor yeah and when so- he was in the cage he, he tried to like uh, zone her out by acquiring her, which it helped, you know, got him out of there. Oh yeah. And so he agrees, you know, to be the one to go meet her at the mall and to kind of throw her off. He is going to use her as his morph. Um, although it is the, you know, unharmed, like perfect original version of the DNA. So, He's got all of her limbs and and hair and whatnot, and uh, which this is this is classic um, person who's been bullied reaction to try to bully someone else. He do, he doesn't think it through in the sense that really this is just hurting uh, Taylor's like Taylor Taylor the host, not the Yurk, um, and the Yurk you know gets a handle on it pretty quick and and mocks him for you know showing up as Taylor and he feels bad about it. Uh, so it's it's really like someone who doesn't know how to be assertive, trying to play mind games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. This is also, I think, one of the first times in the series that we've had a uh, male character go to a female morph. Well, also, uh, multiple times in this book, we're seeing uh, them morph humans and other sentient creatures in a way we haven't seen them do it before. You know, they they didn't have any big conversations on it. They just did it, and it's it's what we've been asking for since book, like, 12. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They've gotten to the point where they're no longer really discussing morality of human morph. Now it's more of, like, if we need it, we need it, you know? 
that's what it's all about. And which is smart. I mean, it shows maturity in their their warfare. Yeah, it was it was really funny. Uh, uh, there's a nice passage here. Maybe I can read this uh, uh, quick. Uh, let's see. Um, so this is this is uh, him, Tobias, just kind of like experiencing this Taylor morph. Um, and I'm going to read this page here. The high school kid behind the counter stared wide-eyed. One, make that two very attractive girls were closing in on him. Uh, what can I get you? He asked shakily. Decaf latte with skim, Taylor purred. The kid turned to take my order. I smiled, and he almost fell over. It was crazy to have such power. I'd been on the receiving end before. I'd just never been the source. Is this what Rachel experienced? Was this part of what made her so brave? <laughs> so, this is this is honestly, I could I could do an entire book of just the characters, not even like fending off threats from the Yurks, but experiencing different like bodies and and the different social impacts and stuff like that. That that's far more interesting to me. Well, I could even see that tying into Kay Applegate's um, original plan with the series and, and kind of a lot of middle grade books where they try to teach you something or they're trying to show you. Like, Kay Applegate started the series because she wanted people to imagine what it would feel like to be an animal. And she, you know, did a lot of research into each animal uh, for the early books and the morphs so that people could get, like, you know, that feeling or, or get a glimpse into something they normally wouldn't be able to put into perspective. And so, gender swapping. And, like, teenagers understanding maybe what the other gender is going through or feeling or experiencing. I mean, that seems like right up Kay Applegate's alley. Yeah, absolutely. I could read about it all day. Um, let's see. So, I think it's just a cool scene that, you know, you've got the two tailors there in the mall. The, the other team members are kind of all watching, making sure things are going well. There's a tense moment where... Taylor's uh, uh, human side, I guess, takes over and pretty much straight up warns Tobias not to trust this girl and to get away. And well, yeah, you, you see it with um, voluntary hosts a lot more as they they don't expect their host to take over, you know, their their body. So they have an easier way of like picking moments to revolt. Oh, you think they're less guarded, I guess. Yeah. That would make sense. Um, Taylor's probably become pretty comfortable with... Well, I, you know, I don't understand why she doesn't, at this point, just get a new body, that yerk, if uh, Taylor's is all messed up. Well, because I think with voluntary hosts, it's probably important for them to keep the same yerk, because, you know, maybe that helps with them being passive. It's possible. And again, that's another thing that I think would be really interesting going into... Um, we got a little bit of it, you know, in like Vizzer or any of the other books that have been very, uh, Yerk centric, like with Aftran and whatnot, but. Plus she does get some quote unquote powers with this body. So, you know, there's advantages. I, I suppose it seems like her only power though is like, she gets a gun. <laughs> well, she has finger paralyzers. Oh, her little taser things. Yeah, I mm -hmm. guess you're right. It's a very sophisticated uh, prosthetic arm they've come up with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Taylor reveals to Tobias that uh, 
the big plan here now is to tunnel underneath the yerk pool so that they can blow it up with a gas line. Okay. Which this this really shows us where we are in the series because this is a target. They've had little missions before where they're doing you're like, oh, we're gonna stop them from building a mobile Kendrona. We're gonna stop them from doing this. This is blowing up the Yerk pool. This is not messing around anymore. Yeah, and I think I feel like it's come up once before the uh, the attack on the Yerk pool, um, and and whether or not you know they should just outright cause an explosion there because of all the well, they've, like, uh, human deaths it would cause. Yeah, they've mentioned offhand something like that. This is the first time that they're like debating it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's come up now, and although the plan or although the team uh, says they want to do it, um, you know, Cassie of course is is going to be the one who raises this, the moral questions, and ultimately she backs out from this. It makes a lot of sense for for her character. Well, yeah, we see a lot of books where they pussyfoot around the idea of something being too much or uh if any of the characters get cold feet or don't want to do it for some reason usually they back that character or find another way this is the first time that you have cassie saying no i absolutely will not do this this is evil i don't care if it's for the greater good and you have the rest of the animals being like this is too big of a target it doesn't matter the consequences you know and it's they're really separated right yeah um I I really liked uh, uh, Jake and Cassie's interactions in this book too. It's, it's definitely a huge change in the direction that their relationship has been going since you know basically the beginning of the series. Um, it's definitely a betrayal, Cassie stepping away because they they've kind of hinted at before. If any of the Animorphs don't want to do a mission, and Jake asks all the time whether anyone has any objections and stuff, but when when one of the animals backs out or almost backs out in the past, it's not just them saying, hey, I'm not going to contribute to this mission. It's basically not giving the others that protection of numbers. They're always outnumbered. But, it, you know, six will always be a thousand times better than five, than your chances of survival on any mission. Yeah, totally. Okay, so here's another passage I'd just like to read because this is the main one between Cassie and Jake that I think really shows their progression. Uh, and this is during their debate about whether or not they should just outright blow up the Yerk pool. Um, Cassie's trying to counter that the, the peace movement Yerks could be amongst the crowd. Uh, so the peace movement Yerks are a small minority, Jake countered coldly. We can't really consider them, except maybe to warn them. Not consider them, Cassie repeated disbelievingly. What if your brother's at the pool when the gas explodes? Jake looked at his hands. I guess it's a sacrifice I have to deal with in order to protect thousands more, Jake said, his voice now expressionless. Jake, I don't believe you. You should, he said, looking back at Cassie. Besides, family involvement doesn't really come into play here. It can't. The Yerk pool is a target. End of discussion. It's not like we're bombing a bunch of innocent people at the mall on a Friday afternoon. And uh, that's pretty much the end of it. I oh, mean, you, missed, you missed the greatest next sentence or Cassie's like isn't, isn't it? it yeah exactly yeah so that's how she uh, uh feels here at this point in time and it makes a whole lot of sense really which you gotta think so so what's crazy is the next the levels that are going on here with both Jake and Cassie you have Jake who has become this kind of cold warrior he's wanted to get target and convince himself that he'll be fine killing Tom 
but also he is becoming like a hundred percent biased and racist against the Yerks. And for good reason. I mean, the Yerks are evil and trying to kill them most of the time. Uh, yeah. But, but he's really shown his bias. He doesn't think of them, even though they're 100% sentient creatures and, and have a life and that should matter. He is already starting to think of them as just, uh, you know, numbers on a on a warboard, you know. Exactly. And Ca- yeah, and Cassie, uh, as much as everybody loves to shit on her, including us, um, She's right. She's 100% right in this instance that not only uh, she brings up the she's seen the levels that their rest of them aren't seeing because they're not empathizing. Uh, she knows that the Yerk uh, peace movement could be involved and they're specifically the target. <laughs> so she sees that before anyone. Yeah, totally. Um, and just for for Jake, I mean, he is now looking at the biggest, grandest picture there is, and that is the fact that they're in a war where their humanity and their freedom is at stake here, and his only uh, goal at this point is to make sure that the Yurks are no longer a threat to humans, humanity, and yeah, it's to any end, you know? Which you got you to think, you know, like, it's hard to, and we'll we have these philosophical discussions about war all the time, but if you look at a war, the last war where there was really a good side and a bad side, like World War II, like, you look at that, there was almost definitively a side that was in the wrong. And uh, how many U.S. soldiers or British soldiers or Australian soldiers uh, did horrifying things and lost their souls for the greater good? We're not going to... St- wish that never happened because of how much good it did in the end shutting down uh the axis you know front so you know right the holocaust you know that's that's worth sacrificing individuals morals and you know personal mental health to stop yeah look in these situations of of war and fighting and and unnecessary deaths uh they're has to be some point where you just have to guarantee your survival. But and that's that's the that's the way that Jake is looking at it currently is that I'm looking after me and mine and you know it sucks that unnecessary deaths have to happen but until we have our guaranteed freedom and safety yeah he's a yerk exterminator. But I have to say in my maybe it's my older age um I'm starting to empathize with something with Cassie almost more because I really like the idea of that old school Superman line of thought. What if we just never did wrong? What if we, every choice, no matter the consequences, no matter what was at stake, we always just did the right thing. That Captain America way of thinking. That brings up a really interesting what if scenario. And that's what if Cassie was the de facto leader of the Animorphs. And like you said, yeah, she she made uh, calls that Jake would never make in that, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to do this the <laughs> the absolute most uh, uh, lawful, l- lawful good <laughs> we can, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I, I could see a really cool like alternate timeline what if kind of story with Cassie just, being the leader and and Jake trying to overthrow her eventually <laughs> I'm just personally starting to respect that a lot more like I feel like 
I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just more the world that I'm seeing as an adult, but I feel like we've really lost a moral backbone of what's right and what's wrong. It doesn't matter what we're doing or what policies are right or what is affected by by doing whatever or making the logical choice. What if we always just made the right choice? How different of a country or, or persons would we be? Um, that's That's something that's starting to matter a lot more to me. Yeah, and uh, Cassie's definitely the idealist of the team, the the one who wants to take the high road everywhere. Um, and she's obviously had to break and change a lot of those uh, coats that she values. But, I mean, even in this book, it shows that she did the right thing, right? Yeah, no, by she the, was right. By the, by the end of this, we'll, she we'll, was we'll, we'll get to. vastly in the right in this book, uh, to the point where they all would have died. If uh, one's for Cassie making the choice she thought was right. No, totally. Yeah, she's uh, MVP this round. Mm-hmm. Um, so we not we, Tobias, <laughs> definitely not Tobias. Uh, Tobias does some stuff. He is helpful here, kind of sort he, of. He does the best <laughs> with his broken brain that he can in this book. Very much so. So uh, you know, it's, it's Tobias's decision that he is going to be the one to uh, follow Taylor's plan and. Go acquire a Taxon, along with Axe, his good buddy, his good morph buddy, his Shorm. Mm-hmm. Um, they both go down into this, you know, pumping station uh, uh, tunnel where Taylor has selected the largest, nastiest Taxon male behemoth Taxon for for them to morph, and they have a little it's a, it's struggle. A, it's a dire Taxon. Ooh, that means they're ten percent bigger, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they. Kill slash acquire the the poor guy, the poor creature. Yeah, yeah. Tobias just gladiator battles him, uh, him and Max. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a good time. With and how it, else? Are you know, we're do missing it? we're missing the whole uh, kind of cool thing of uh, Tobias going Andalite and kind of um, Axe walking him through you know different forms and like how you should hold yourself while you fight and you know love love those moments like Axe having a brother. Andalite to bond with and teach is nice. Yeah, they they really should have included more of Tobias enjoying Andalite morph and it more bonding with Axe, of course, is great stuff. Um they they are introducing a little bit more to the Andalite lore every book now with uh Axe giving these little details such as the uh the hair cutting process. Um, which is normally supposed to be used to uh, kind of um, discipline uh, young Andalites that act out. And, but they and, need them to look different than Axe, so that's why they do it in this. Yeah, it's to alter his appearance. I don't and know. Even, even little things like uh, Axe telling him how he should land after a larger than three foot fall, you know, on his hooves and how to control his body. It's just, just nice little Andalite lore things. Yeah, we always like learning more about their biology. Still For all you Andalite kind of, uh... cosplayers out there, uh, <laughs> you're really getting some some RPG elements in this book for you. That's right. You and me, uh, MorphCon next year. I'll, I'll be <laughs> I'll be the rear, the back legs and the tail, and you'll be the uh, the whole front of the Andalite costume. You almost need like a separate <laughs> person to be the tail. Um. <laughs> Or maybe you just you could hold your daughter and she could like control the tail. She's just right on my shoulders. Yeah, that'd be great. That's one way to do it. We're at the halfway point in this book, 
And uh, I, I feel like we've done an amazing job keeping the conversation going for this long. Uh, when I read this thing, I felt like plot-wise, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot to discuss. And uh, we'd get through it pretty quick, but way to go. Our, our deviations are really working out, really paying off here. Yeah, well, I think there's, even if the plot seems thin in this book, it's because there's so much else going on in Tobias's head with the other Animorphs, uh, conversations. I think dialogue is incredibly strong in this book. It's just, yeah, it's a lot to discuss. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we've had the setup. We've had the whole mission laid out for us. Now we're going to see uh, the mission in action, see how it goes. And this is where the team is meeting up to uh, uh, start the digging, the taxon digging. I don't yeah. even know if we mentioned it, but the taxons are supposedly really good at digging. They do this kind of uh, the same way earthworms dig, which is obviously through, you know, in one end, out the other. But a much yeah. more super sped up version of that. Yeah, they could like dig the English Channel in like three days or something. Like it's just so sped up from using like a bulldozer or anything else or an earth mover. Um, it's it's great, and we get a great thing where you know they defeated this other taxon and um, acquired its morphins, this massive taxon, and we get a lot of taxon lore here too. Of even though we've seen how hungry they can be, and we've heard. Uh, in the Andalite Chronicles, specifics even of what it's like to morph a taxon, I think we get a lot more details here than we've ever gotten before of, like, specifically what that hunger feels like to a human and uh, how hard it is to control and how almost impossible it is to control. Yeah, Tobias has a really good um, line. I don't know if it's during this time he morphs it or the next time, but he really makes a comparison to the hunger being, like, fear, like a derivative of fear, um, and, and I think he, you know, kind of feels a little bit of, uh, uh, compassion, um, for the Texans and, and, you know, he, he, he like feels, I don't want to say he feels like a Texan, but you know, there's something there. Yeah. And it just, you know it, I mean? it, it really makes you better understand, uh, why the Texans are what they are and how we've seen them so far. It even goes to talk about how their interaction with the Yurks, you know, like they're voluntary hosts, but um, the Yurks who are assigned to Texans, even if they look all normal controlling the controls of a bug fighter and standing around on the bridge of a ship, um, they become more feral than other Yurks. Like the brain affects them and messes with them. Um so I, mean, I thought that was really interesting. Like you probably can't have a yerk or too many yerks have a taxon body and then like you upgrade to something else because they've changed as yerks. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure giving a yerk a taxon body is akin to uh, putting them on a drug of some sort. Yeah, I guess hunger <laughs> or cocaine <laughs> or kind of both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Tobias goes taxing, uh, starts, you know, has a freak out, has trouble controlling the hunger right away and starts kind of turning on the team. We've seen this scene play out, you know, numerous times. Um, it, it, Taylor shows up and uh, manages to Drake and beam zap him out of it a little bit. Well, um, it's funny because Axe had to mess with the Drake on beam she has because uh, she tried to shoot him at full strength. Uh, and just kill Tobias right there. But if Axe hadn't interfered, 
Um, yeah, Tobias would be dead. Also, uh, I should point out that Seropedia points out that um, Jake tells Tobias that X managed to modify Taylor's Draken beam to prevent her from firing past the third setting. However, X never had a chance to gain access to her weapon, nor did he possess the time to modify it without her knowledge. So it's just kind of a thing that I think the writers threw in there without thinking uh, about. He probably used his supercomputer to hack into her Dracon beam remotely. Wirelessly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. Duh. No, the, the computer blew up, I believe. After and he built another it. one. X has <laughs> nothing to do but build computers. Either way, there's a little bit of inconsistency, a little... Some things that don't quite add up or make sense here, but it's okay. Um, where are we going? Uh, Tobias... The team, yeah. All that. Yeah, and, you know, just Rachel's presence, I guess, there being there uh, kind of snaps him out of the text and hunger a little bit as well. He learns kind of how to focus it and uh, aim it at the uh, dirt and tunnel and his his goal there and they get going on that he discovers you know just how amazingly uh adept at digging these things are yeah and true true to her word um it's not a trick it's not backup uh cassie is not on the mission it's just it's just axe tobias marco rachel and jake and obviously taylor exactly um after a bit you know he he runs out of time in, in Texan Morph and it's Axe's turn to step up to the plate and uh, they they once again are debating the morality of whether or not they should just blow up the Yurk pool and uh, we get to see a little bit of Taylor try to pull the old uh, <laughs> join me and together we can rule the universe she almost she said that almost directly like it almost quotes star wars yeah basically so th- that's her new goal is and you know is it a mind trick does she actually think that maybe tobias you know the andalite would turn himself over and and her whole goal, I guess, would be to g- gain an Andalite body for herself. Yeah, well, I mean, right. she's already got a voluntary host. I think her goal would be to... It'd be the ultimate form of of putting him in his place below her is to actually take over his body. Definitely. And, you know, it's just a much better body. She'd be on par with Visor 3 and much better poised for ruling... Or if you want to, if you want to put it in perspective of the plot, uh, since we know that she's lying and that she's actually working for Visor Three, um, this could be her Visor Three's one shot at possibly taking any of them alive. Because if the plan goes according to plan perfectly, um, the Andalite bandits and everything in the York Pool dies. And but you know, Visor Three would still love to get uh, another Andalite host under his belt. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, maybe he thinks the Andalite mothership will show up again someday and he'll have more opportunities to get Andalite hosts. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of Taylor's main goal. And I feel like, you know, she has given Tobias so many opportunities and reasons to doubt everything she says. She's obviously demonstrated that all she wants to do is get under his skin and get his body ultimately. Mm. And, you know, he he still goes along with it and still kind of, uh, uh, 
is is willing to work with her and trust her despite her uh, repeated talk of you know well, when we get in there and take over and things are going to be way different for us and you know it's just like she sounds like any old dictator. Well, because it's it's again. He is not seeing everything. He's traumatized by this person. And the rest of the group should have stopped him from interacting with her at all. And instead, they're letting him take the lead on, on a lot of these decisions because of his past with her. But he's not in a great <laughs> mind. I think It's, that's the it's entire... like letting Marco take a lead on a uh, Visor 1 mission. <laughs> Which happens every time. But yeah. specifically, specifically with uh, Tobias, he's mentally unwell. Uh, thinking about his former interaction with her. So this entire book, if it has any point, it's that, uh, you know, he's suffering PTSD and plenty of other syndromes, I'm sure, in dealing with Taylor. And he's not in his right mind throughout this entire book. Or at this point in the series at all. Tobias is starting to lose it, guys. He's been been a hawk for a few years, (laughs) and he's not supposed to be. He's not doing well. Um, I, you know, one of the cooler moments I thought was uh, when he did morph into Taylor and he was like, I was hoping to gain some insight, you know, how her, how her mind worked. And he's like, I, you know, I, I discovered that there was none of that there. She was just a sweet, normal little girl, basically. And all of that, all that nastiness is from the yerk, really. Um it's just a nice little turnaround to to find that, you know, Taylor this herself is not a, the problem. Problems no. New York. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, and it's just it's just a bad situation on every side. And um, plot wise, uh, after she's trying to you know get get Tobias to join her side, whether that's a trick or not, uh, Axe, who seemed like he was more comfortable in this morph. Then Tobias is starting to go a little crazy, and then he's just, he's just starting to dig this cavern instead of a tunnel. Uh, yeah, it, this is kind of an amusing scene, I thought, because first of all, uh, a little bit more lore expansion on the uh, Texans is that they have this kind of like almost like a hibernation mode to to combat their hunger, um, where they basically just sort of shut down their their non essential features and their minds and. Like I said, kind of hibernate. And, um, you know, using this method, he's like, oh, I got this. I'm in charge. And then he just starts going to town, right? And they discover that he's basically eating himself to death, um, just overexerting the Texan, running out of time and morph. um, And, you know, it's another instance of, oh, somebody's going to die and morph, and we have to convince them to morph out quick. Yeah, and that's Bat Tobias. He morphs Bat and finds him and then figures out what he's doing and, and gives us about with that. I want to uh, leave the plot real quick for another tangent. Things that we missed and didn't talk about that I think are incredible in this book. Sure. Uh, one, we get a flashback. I don't remember where it is, but we, I remember uh, we get a flashback when Tobias is thinking about um, a big question in this book is whether he uh, stayed a Nothlet or became a Nothlet and stayed in Hawk Morph on purpose or not. And we actually yeah. get a flashback in his mind of him sitting on the cavern wall in the Yerk pool in the first book, watching 
the other Animorphs leave. So we saw the a part of the first book from his perspective in this book, which I thought was incredible and so yeah, well that's that's yeah, that's coming up uh, once they actually break through the wall and and reveal. Oh, okay, the, uh, okay, so that hasn't happened yet. One thing that did happen though is when uh, Tobias was morphing out of Taxon, and it was uh, Axe's turn to take over. Uh, we get some amazing morph lore, in the sense that. Tobias manages. He he starts morphing out of his um, um, out of his taxon morph, and realizes that Taylor is there, and she's staring right at him, and he manages to uh, morph to uh, Andalite, yeah, from taxon by perfectly morphing the hawk parts uh, and blending them as he morphed and, and basically went from one morph to another. So this vastly expands the morph lore yeah, in this, one instance. This is a super impressive feat. Um, it's something that we've been asking for for quite a while now, uh, a major expansion on the morphing ability, something you'd expect to see Cassie do, frankly. But Tobias yeah. should have just as much uh, uh, morph ability as her, if not more, because of his, you know, Andalite lineage. Um but this and, is not even something we see Axe ever do. Like this is, this is um, showing what the limits are of the morphing ability. In in, I feel like the Andalites, it's a technology they're used to, so they know. And they, just by Andalite personality, you know, they know the limits of it, and they don't really test that. Whereas humans are going to push it and experiment with it. And then you have instances like Cassie being artful with her morphs, and then something like this where Tobias is actually pushing the technology to do more than it should be capable of. Yeah. It's just, that's what I want out of the series. That's what I've always wanted. It, and, it uh, reminds me of way earlier on in the series. It might've been like book five, I think. Yeah. I think it was, uh, the capture, um, where Jake becomes a that's controller. Book six. Book, book six. six. Yeah. Right. Um, he, he partially morphs like just his throat into wolf to give him like a different, you know, voice when he calls Tom at the end. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that is is what they should have been doing, you know, like have an instance where maybe they're out in public and they couldn't fully morph into something, so maybe he turns his hand into a lobster claw and uses it to, <laughs> to a factor. You know, seen just a, doing morphing in a slightly different way. We're seeing a lot of our requests in the morphing ability being done in this book. Morphing humans, morphing andalites, um, you know, taking these abilities to the next level. And I'm sorry to say it's so late in the series and we don't even get to see more of that in the next few books. So I would like to see Tobias uh, uh, just start morphing an Andalite tail while he's still in his hawk body. So he's just a hawk with a big scorpion Andalite tail. Well, I think the I think the things they could do are more things like this. You might uh, if if we continue down this track, I feel like at their apex of morphing ability, you might be able to see them mixing morphs. Like, yeah, I was, oh, I was totally just going to say, or doing it to where, like, if you're in a human body, you could morph an Andalite tail on your right arm, you know? Yeah. And it's not just about like what you can, uh, how you can change the morphing ability itself, but even the acquiring ability, we've seen Axe acquire multiple humans to make a new human. Surely there's more you can do with that too in like multiple animals or something. Oh God. Yeah. Chimera morphs. Mm-hmm. Making like <laughs> mythological creatures just by mixing animals. Um, oh, absolutely. Ugh. There, there's a lot of cool morph lore things that unfortunately we're just not 
probably you know going to see in more, this series. More than anything else, you know what would have made the series incredible? If at the end, in one of the big like final battles of the series, one of them tapped into one of their dinosaur morphs and morphed like a T-Rex into the middle of the chaos. Uh, you say that. However, I think if it actually happened, it'd be one of the moments. Incredible. It would be ridiculous. absolutely incredible. You cannot tell me if that final battle uh, where they're like all the, um, you know, the handicapped animorphs are running and fighting or whatever. If a bunch of dinosaurs just showed up and it's, oh, <laughs> and it's just chaos. so good. So good. All right, Tobias takes over digging for Axe, and uh, this is where he just kind of loses himself again to the morph and and digs his way in, and they reach the pool really quick. And, uh, yeah, this is where, you know, while Tobias is having that that moment of uh, uh, realization and and, uh, questioning um, himself and his motives, uh, Taylor has secretly... Uh, taken out the rest of the Animorphs and decommissioned them with her little stun beams. And uh, she, she's got one last, you know, kind of mind routine to try and pull on Tobias. And once again, yeah, join me and your transformation will be complete. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, pretty good. And uh, yeah, you know, this is kind of the, the big dramatic climax, the reveal that Taylor... Uh, doesn't really have anybody's best interests here except her own in mind and uh she's like all right screw it things aren't going my way tobias isn't gonna listen to me i'm just gonna go ahead and uh break this here gas line and see and how you like, you're do. not gonna do it you'll die too and she's like whatevs and then pops <laughs> up and- <laughs> then clearly you don't know me yet Bam. And then they, they set up for a potential bringing her back by uh, she's the first one out the hole. In well, the yeah, hole. she gets blasted like Team Rocket style. <laughs> like, Yeah, so who knows? If, but it's like, oh, she was smiling while she did it, so maybe she survived somehow. I, I, I do like the uh, uh, description Tobias gives a little bit like towards the end of their conflict here before she gets blown away where, you know, she totally looks like just a psychopath now. Her hair's all crazy and like you know, she's got facial scars and yeah. Because uh, he used to he used to think of like um, even when she was all messed up looking, he was like he could see how beautiful she was, and he was kind of jealous of that. And that she was um, even you know before her accident, she was someone who was popular and pretty, and you know he never had that. Right. So if if we do see a return, I think uh, she's just gonna be loopy. She's gonna be out there. Um, but everyone's kind of dying as uh, as they tend to end their missions. These yeah, Tobias, Tobias manages to keep them all from blowing out of the yerk pool, but um, they're all there's no oxygen. They're all just suffocating. And through sheer force of will, and I thought this is kind of a cool moment, uh, Tobias, is, he notices that the taxon isn't as affected by uh, toxic atmosphere as the rest of them. So he pushes them all out with his head like his face is right there his mouth is right there and he says it's the hardest thing he's ever done is not eat his friends while he's trying to save them <laughs> yeah um, I, I liked his his mental screaming basically is their friends not food <laughs> the whole time yeah very, very gets, finding nemo-esque he gets them out and then this is the best part of the book in my mind he gets them out 
and they all you know morph respectively back into the whatever will be safe but they then go back to battle morphs just in case because they see that the pumping station is all messed up looking and so i i could imagine this perfectly and i i even i don't know if this you call this bad writing but i knew this was coming the second they saw that the pumping station was all messed up is they're oh, creeping sure. they're creeping through the pumping station they're seeing all these you know, not dead, dead. bodies. <laughs> well, some of them are dead, but like mostly messed up with yurks crawling out of their heads. And if, if look, horrible... if the, yeah, if the yurks are crawling, like abandoning yeah, the hosts, it's a bad situation. They're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> so everything's messed up. Sparks flying everywhere. Probably things hanging out of the ceiling, all this stuff. And they're creeping through it, like waiting for this battle. And it's just not coming and uh, not knowing what's going on. And then they find Cassie crying in the back. And she just, this is like her going, uh, full Eric when he gets his chip removed. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Very yeah, much like that. Yeah. And she just wasted this entire pumping station full of human beings uh, to save them and to save their souls, basically, because she thought she was stopping uh, them blowing up the Yerk pool. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Which she was. Perspective, yeah. But <laughs> what she didn't know, I guess, was that she was totally saving all their lives. So again, you know, she was mass. Not only did Cassie, sweet little Cassie, moral Cassie, just you know, kill a bunch of humans. Uh, she did it as a betrayal to her friends and to save the Yerks. Uh, what what more do you want from an Animorphs book? This is this is an amazing end to this book. The implications are pretty nuts. They're pretty different from what we've had before. Yeah, mm, it's um, a big foreshadowing to how this group is going to be split. In just the coming books, um, it's just great, great stuff. Yeah, and we get a, a final. This felt like a really like a wrap up, wrappy chapter for for a finale here, where uh, Tobias and Rachel kind of go flying together as they tend to do, and just sort of like you know have a conversation about what happened. And um, I, it's it's at this point where it's pretty much spelled out. Rachel says. You know, we think that Taylor was probably just working with Visitor 3 the whole time and they were plotting to take out both the Andalite bandits and the, the peace faction. And, you know, Visitor 3, his mind was, I'm going to destroy my enemies and allies alike. And I, I think it's a good contrast here because it, it sort of like flirts with the idea of, okay, Visitor 3 was planning on sacrificing his own kind as well as the enemies, you know, good and bad alike. And the Animorphs were planning on doing the same thing. Um, and I think it gives them all a little bit, or at least it gives Rachel and Tobias a moment to think like, you know, I'm glad we didn't do the same thing that Visitor 3 would have done. Yeah. No, so um, that's that's the book. We get a nice little wrap-up chapter, too, um, between Rachel and Tobias, and just kind of discussing everything, and um, yeah, that's what I just said. Were you listening? <laughs> I was listening. I was just commenting on it. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to usurp you. Um, okay. No, I just. I just wanted to bring it home that this reflects the earlier talk that Tobias and Rachel had 
uh, in her room because he, he's the first. She's the first one. We didn't really go over this, but she's the first one that he goes to after Taylor captures him for a second time before they go back to Cassie's barn. Uh, he has to talk with Rachel. So you, you get this nice mirroring of that conversation and kind of resolution. And then, yeah, they tack on the fact that, oh, yeah, Visitor 3 was behind all of this, um, which, you know, it, it has more consequences for the rest of the book if you think back to different things Taylor was doing. But right, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to just go straight to my review real quick. No, yeah, let's dive into it, man. We're there. Okay. Uh, I, I don't need to say much more than this is on par this this nemesis of Tobiasus, um, this second part to Taylor's story. I don't think we get a third part at all, but this you know resolution or whatever um, is right up there with the David trilogy for me. I never realized that there was another kind of villain on par with David in the series, and I think Taylor Taylor hits at home mostly because of how well written this book is and how. Uh, perfectly Animorphs it is. Everything I want out of an Animorphs book, I got in this book. Uh, and how the resolution, the morph lore, uh, advancing their characters and where they should be at this point in the series, it's just easily, easily a five out of five um, Animorph nemesis uh, for me. If I could give it a six, I'd give it a six. I think it's right up there with David. Oh, that's um, surprising. And that's, that's high praise for me. That's that's uh, a pretty high praise, I will say. Well, I'm glad that we uh, we have pretty different opinions, I guess. While while you're very wowed by this whole thing, uh, I I more or less enjoyed the book. Um, I, I'm not as floored as it by uh, as you are. Um, you know, it, it had a lot of positives. Like I said, a lot of character progression, uh, a wonderful villain to move things along. Um, as far as like story goes, um, I, I didn't think it was the, the greatest Animorphs plot we've had. Uh, a lot of the, the things like questioning morality and stuff, we've, we've had books where they do that before. Um, and I, like I said, I think there's a lot of great foreshadowing in this one. If anything, this book asks a lot of interesting questions that I think when we get around to finding the answers to, will will be a lot more interesting um you know again when i was reading this thing i I felt like not a whole lot happened and it was only through going back through it talking with you about it um rereading it to do my summary a little bit um is is where i found a little bit more enjoyment with it but like uh like we've said it's a lot more introspection a lot of thought-provoking questions and uh, really good dialogue between all the characters. A little less heavy on the action uh, if you're reading these things uh, for that. Um, I don't necessarily think it's one you'd have to read. Like you said, you could probably avoid the whole David trilogy if you wanted, but you're missing out on a good book that you know makes the Animorphs what it is. And uh, for that, I feel like yeah, it's it's a pretty solid Animorphs book. Not five out of five for me material, but it's it's at the very least definitely a three out of five uh, Notalsiths for for me. Look, you're here for the crazy uh, Battlemorph action scenes. I'm here for the uh, crippling depression that emotionally stunts the characters, and that's what this book had in spades. And uh, I think this is definitely. I mean, we've given some pretty mediocre books a three out of five so i'm I'm a little surprised by your score i'd at least get a four 
But um, just for the writing alone, I mean, I thought the dialogue is like some of the best of the whole series in this book. Like the the characters felt more real in this book than they have in a long time. Um, well, while it was well written, I don't see. I just I wouldn't put it up there with. Well, I wouldn't use the word best best of the series. I, I think it's it's very well written and it accomplishes what it needs to for this story. But uh, I, I, it just left me uh, uh, wanting more, I guess, uh, wanting to move on to something a little bit more earth shattering well, within the, think, the story. I think there's different ways that books uh, can be rated in the Animorphs series because of how specific they are. And while I don't think this is the best book in the series, um, I don't even think it's maybe even in the top five. It could be, but you know, I know there's some really good books coming and some books I love in the past and it'd be hard to even make a top five. I think this might be Tobias's best book. I think this might be the best Tobias book, which is saying a lot. Um, Maybe. I, think, I, I still like the first Tobias book, honestly. But. Yeah, but the first Tobias book is, I think there's, it has more nostalgia than anything for everyone because it hits all those defining characteristics. It's, it's sure. Tobias sleeping in a cabinet in Jake's, you know, attic. attic yeah. how, how, are you, how are you not going to get more, you know, that's, that's starting those threads. Whereas I thought this book did something with them. It gave Tobias a personal demon to wrestle with instead of just the woe is me, I'm a hawk. You know, um, I thought, I, I, and again, it was backed up by uh, some of the best of the series writing, I think, easily. It's absolutely moving Tobias's character in a far more interesting uh, direction. And, you know, I, I just think Tobias overall is one of the more interesting characters in this series um a lot of people's favorites in fact and yeah yeah it it makes me want more um but at the same point i i just i, I breeze through this one and I'm, I'm looking forward to more to come in the future really well, is I all i could say i mean i'm i'm all for us having different scores on different books because that it's you know i hate when we just line up perfectly because it doesn't really make us dive into why we thought differently about things but um I think that's the perfect way to put this is that you breeze through this book as an easy read, whereas I couldn't put it down. And that's why I read it in two shifts. You know, it's not that it was an easy read for me. It's that I was so interested in everything it was doing that I wanted to see where it went. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's true. I mean, I processed it all very, very much the same as you. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't get quite as hung up on the, the emotion of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, it were. it's you got to give it credit too for the fact that book forty-three, this manages to do something new with the with the morph lore. This manages to do something new with taxons. This manages to do something new with even just human host bodies. Like that's that's pretty high praise right there. Is that it was able to do some originality in the series that uh, we haven't seen in a long time. Hey, you know, the most important thing this book did was erase the journey from my mind. So (laughs) that right there is beautiful. Have you read the summary for the next book? Uh, No, but uh, it's, I don't know what to expect except for the unexpected. I think this is going to be kind of a shit sandwich um, (laughs) situation where we've got this great, uh, inside covered on each side by poop. 
Um, uh, it's very possible. So, yeah, like you're saying, we have uh, wound down our review of book 43, The Test. And, yeah, really excited, actually, to get into uh, the next book, 44, The Unexpected. Um, Cassie Goes to Australia is best way to describe it. Which, concept-wise, I've never read the Cassie Australia book, but concept-wise, Cassie wrestling with Visitor 3 in the Outback, like, and she has no support or backup. I mean, that sounds really cool, at least as a concept. In theory, yeah. In theory, it should be cool. Uh, we shall see, Plus, though. we just don't get a lot of international travel. We're so stuck in this one town. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Yerks are affecting other places, if at all. Yeah, that, that'll that be very interesting as well. Um, you know, we, we heard this book is just trash, so trying to trying to keep an open mind. Hey, trying to remain hopeful. That, they also said that about the Atlantis book, and they were 100% right. No, uh, they weren't. That book was <laughs> untapped genius, diamond in the rough material. Didn't we actually like the Buffy Human book? I can't remember now. I know it was kind of did up until they ruined the end. Yeah. Right up until they nuked the buffalo. <laughs> our, our new phrase. I, mean, I enjoyed that for other reasons. <laughs> well, either way, we're about to nuke the buffalo on this episode and uh, <laughs> just roll out the plugs. Yeah. No, yeah. Speaking of which, um, so we might we went down from iTunes there for a little bit. I don't know why. Um, I think because we changed the website and different things were happening. I think our, our feed got messed up. But that is newly corrected. So this episode should pip pop up uh, much quicker than pip the pop. other ones. Pip pop pop. Pip pip pop pop. <laughs> um, but again, uh, you can check us out on iTunes. If you listen to us, uh, I want, if you listen to us on Android, uh, tell us what you're listening to us on. Because I use CastBox with my new Android phone. And that seems like one of the bigger ones. And I'd love to see some comments pop up on there. We don't have any reviews or comments on CastBox. And I know it's one of the big ones for Android. So um, let us know what you're listening to us on, Stitcher, uh, just all the big ones. And, you know, leave us a review wherever you are. Uh, leaving those helps out uh, new listeners find the show. It, it helps introduce us to new people. And uh, hopefully you see our artwork and our new artwork and stuff pop up on there. And uh, go again, go to thoughtspeakcast.com. Check out our new website. You got a nice Patreon link right there. You got a Twitter feed. You got new episodes and these bright new bold posts. And uh, I'm really excited about that. I'd love to see people comment and use our website and actually comment on the episodes because I know our old website was a little, um, wasn't great to look at for that sort of thing or discussion. And I think this new website specifically, I made it for. Um, improving that and making it uh, better for commenting. Um, I also have a lot of social links on there, our Twitter, our Facebook. Uh, I'd link directly to our Animorphs on Reddit through our website, which I, you know, I'm a moderator on our Animorphs, so um, I love our discussion to pop up there. And, uh, and yeah, and again, uh, <laughs> what, go ahead. You're just, no, you're just, you're flying through this. Good job. <laughs> Thanks for interrupting it. Uh, <laughs> um, Check out our, our Patreon, which you want to give the uh, HTML for that? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm enjoying uh, listening to you plug this. <laughs> well, search for ThoughtSpeak uh, on Patreon. Or I think it's it's literally just patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeak, right? Uh, it's something like that. It's ThoughtSpeak or ThoughtSpeakCast. That's it's it's Patreon.com ish slash forward. Here's the great back. thing. Here's, we've gotten big enough that if you just Google Thoughtspeak, 
uh, we're pretty much the entire first page. Our Patreon shows up there, everything. Uh, but again, I don't want to downplay your Patreon. It really helps us continue the show, and we want to obviously we want to get better about episodes and get more regular with them. And uh, seeing you guys contribute on there really pushes us to do that and uh, get these episodes out as quickly as possible. And uh, you know, we have we have pretty busy lives. We both have pretty demanding jobs and home lives and stuff. But I don't want to stop this podcast. I want it to grow and get better. And um, the Patreon supports us to be able to do that. And it helped me. I mean, uh, the Patreon helped me buy a new computer because my other computer wasn't handling all of the graphics and everything that we were doing. It was slowing us down. So the Patreon know, that... helped me afford that gold toilet I've always been wanting. <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> No, no it's, it's strike great, that great from the record. No, but uh, it really has supported us and made us continue doing this. And um, can't thank you guys enough for that. So check us out wherever. Talk to us wherever. Send us questions. Send us your uh, what you want, what book series you want us to read next, or individual volumes of Goosebumps you want us to read, or whatever you want to do, man. We're 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 ready to go to a bold new frontier with this podcast, and you're going to see a lot a lot more changes uh, coming. Tell up us what your battle morph is. Yeah, let's keep it Animorphs related, at least for a little while longer. <laughs> and uh, we'll never forget that this was an Animorphs podcast. So even in the later episodes, I I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about Sario Rips or whatever when we're talking about Ender's Game. Um, so <laughs> how that would have bettered that situation. <laughs> it, uh, it always makes it better when you introduce a Sario Rip. What would what would Ender, his favorite morph, have been? I, I feel like a parrot or something. I um, feel like uh, the the queen... <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, you have made it successfully to the end of this episode, and boy, do I envy you. Because uh, <laughs> now you're going to come back for our next one, The Unexpected. I don't know what to expect for that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, Did I make that joke? I already did. Yeah, Doesn't did. matter. It's, it's, it's coming fine. up again. We've got you can, you can expect that. We've got one or two more, I think, I think... You could call them anything but duds. And then we've just got so many good books still left in the series. And some of the best books of the series are coming up. So stick with us. Let us know what you think. This is Coleman signing off. <laughs> right on. Like, share, and subscribe. Comment down below. I've been your host, Mitchell. Have a great night, everyone.